Welcome to Killer Women with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Welcome to Killer Women Podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air Global Network with more than 4 million listeners. I am your host, Danielle Girard, and my guest today is Rachel, Rachel Kohlercroft. Rachel is an author and screenwriter in Los Angeles, where she has scripted projects for Blumhouse, Sony Pictures Entertainment, and Comedy Central, among others. She lives by the beach with her husband, Charles, and their rescue pit bull, Juniper. Stone Cold Fox is her first novel. Check out this cover, first of all. Like, what a, they did a great job, isn't it? Like, it's the bling and the, it's gorgeous. I love this. Um, Okay, so before we get deep diving into all the twisty, fun craziness that is Stone Cold Fox, uh, welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me, Danielle. I'm so excited to be here. Killer women's what I'm all about. <laughs> Woo! Okay, so but um, yeah, and first and foremost, please tell um tell our listeners about Stone Cold Fox. Hey, sure. Happy to set the scene. I mean, I lovingly call it my bitchy little novel <laughs> about <laughs> an ambitious young woman named B who was raised by a con artist mother and she's ready to go straight and leave that life behind. Um, so she has her sights set on marrying into the 1% via an unwitting eligible bachelor, Colin Case. And of course, for B, the challenge isn't really getting the ring from him, but rather the ap- approval from his very fancy old money family and circle, in particular, his childhood best friend, Gail Wallace Lester, who has designs on taking B down um, as quickly as she can. So it becomes a cat and mouse game with a lot of twists and turns and strong women that are ready to go after what they want by any means necessary. <laughs> that is a very good description. It is absolutely that. And Gail is sort of an unassuming, uh, we don't expect Gail to be quite as, um, you know, ruthless and clever uh, as uh, I think she's underestimated in the beginning and B is a little bit uh, thrown off by that. So I know it's hard. Like, I think sometimes we we know exactly where the seed for a story comes from. And sometimes we're like, I, it was a culmination of things. But can you remember sort of how, you know, where this story started? Yeah, I mean, B's voice kind of came to me first and like, I'll cop to it. She's kind of an amalgamation of the dark sides of like my best friends and me, just like a lot of her like snark and signature humor. And I think that's like a product of, you know, growing up in the early 2000s where the perception of women was really grim and specific and harsh. And even though we all know we aren't supposed to think these things about ourselves, it's really hard when it's so ingrained in your youth to kind of drop it as you grow older. So I find B a kindred spirit in that regard. Like I understand why she thinks the things she thinks and why she says the things she says. Um, So I kind of just started riffing with her voice a little bit at the start. And then I'm also just very fascinated by the push and pull of extreme wealth and how it can be repulsive and aspirational in equal measure and the type of woman that aspires to marry into money. Um, I think that makes her a compelling main character, but I really wanted to think about how to subvert that gold digger trope 
um, that everyone probably would will at the start of the novel make assumptions about B, but I just think there's a lot more to her than meets the eye as the story continues. But that was sort of the beginning of where the seed came from. Yeah, I mean, and, and actually what makes, like you said, to sort of subvert that trope, what makes her so interesting is that her past is very, you know, her whole goal in life is to not be like her mother, right? I mean, it really comes up for her that, you know, every sort of decision she makes, she's like, that is not a decision my mother would make. So I'm, I mean, it's, and, and it's, as we get to understand, you know, more and more about what it was like to be uh, her mother's daughter, we, we do get a really um, clear sense of why she would not want to be like her mother and how damaging that is. That it really was an environment where, you know, it's whatever, what's the next best thing? What, how much can I get from this situation? And then how soon can we kind of get out? And that is not a stable upbringing, right? That would do damage to any of us. Of course. And that's the thing that I think is kind of cool and interesting about B. She's not really that interested in the material stuff that the money can give her. It's truly all about finally getting some safety and security that she was completely lacking as a child. And that's really her full motivation. Does she like nice things? Sure. Don't we all? But <laughs> right. that's not really what it's about and she can see through a lot of what that stuff is and it's really just about feeling safe for her and that's right. what money represents to be absolutely and you know it's like you said there is something interesting and of course we've all come across those people and we know the stories too about how exclusive and sort of um incestual that those old money you know communities are and how unaccepting they are of new people and how it's always the assumption that there whoever comes into the group is there for the money and um and god you know I, you know b really offers colin something that he doesn't get from anybody in his you know family and in that community and i think he he's actually quite lovely in the way that he you know sort of accepts her and stands up for her and i mean you know the question is sort of how much could he tolerate and the standing up to his family and whatnot. And his mother is very much what we expect from, you know, the matriarch of that kind of family. Like we don't talk about problems. There are no problems. Um, right. It's so, yeah. Um, Colin is a very well-meaning person and I wanted to be not gentle with him. And like, I do some of my favorite parts to write are when B is like burning Colin about his weak shoulders or his stop sign or something like that. Yeah. But he knows he's a nice man and that right. is also very appealing to her and as far as like Colin's mother she may or may not be based on an ex-boyfriend's mother <laughs> <laughs> we will not name uh, names yeah but um I think you know it's that feeling protective of anyone from the outside because you know the people that aren't in our circle just won't understand it's easier to keep it in the circle can't you just find a nice girl that we already know and love like instead of bringing this outsider into the fold but I think that is the appeal a lot of the appeal for Colin and B I mean obviously she's like hot and funny and all these things but she is like completely different from anyone um he's gone out with before and she right. listens to him and makes him feel special and makes him feel seen and heard because he's kind of a, a more timid man in some regards, um, which I think is why she pinpoints him in a lot of ways. But for as 
loveless, I guess we could say, as their relationship is, at least from these perspective. I do think it's one of like respect and both of them get things from each other. So I don't want to say it's 100% healthy, but it's certainly not right sinister as maybe some people who see the cover and see the synopsis might think as far right. as it's much more nuanced and I think that makes that's another thing that just makes it a really interesting story is that our expectations about sort of exactly what this is going to look like and and there's sort of there's a trope about these wealthy men that are these kind of like commanding you know it's the uh you know they know exactly what they want and they get to dictate everything and I think Colin is a foil to that which I appreciate too because I mean we all are I mean we are we all have insecurities and Collins clearly has them and yet he's in a family that would that sort of doesn't tolerate that either right? right and so he's clearly not gotten a lot of sort of love and reinforcement around um those points so it's it, it absolutely makes sense and you know and then the sort of this the, the backdrop of you know this this mother um uh, and and their past is you know is and I love the way you sort of alternate you know you were in the present and then we're back with some you know and there was a lot of like actually B had a lot of love from some of those you know like healthy kind of parental at least father figure love in some of those er earlier moments which is why it was probably all that much more devastating when you know they were moved on right um so you're a script writer um and I um I'm you know, obviously you, you know how to do that. I'm sure super well. So how, what prompted you to be like, I'm going to write a novel? Oh, a lot of things. I've always wanted to write a novel. I mean, since I was a little girl, that's been on my list. Um, and I think the reason, not that it took me a, a long time, but by the time I got around to it, I just felt basically, I think screenwriting made me a better novelist because I just had developed a really good understanding of story and pacing and making sure your audience stays with you and what was exciting to me about writing a novel as opposed to using the story as a script is just there's so much more real estate to work with like my first draft of this I think just by virtue of being a screenwriter was really snappy and concise and I had to go back and I got to spend more time on what are they wearing what are they listening to what is right. the room look like What's she thinking on the inside? Because everything on the screen has to be more or less on the exterior. And right. what I really loved about writing this novel is I got to stay in B's head the entire time and really sit um, with her interiority and kind of the dichotomy of what she's thinking and how she's acting, which isn't always the easiest thing to do um, in a script. So I enjoy both mediums enormously. Um, but now I've realized I do love writing books and I plan to continue down that path. I think I was intimidated because I read so much. I love so many books and just what I do as a screenwriter, it's just short. It's just not as many words. And I was like, yeah. oh, my whole book and then um once I think once you do it once and you get the bug yeah. going because now I well, feel like okay <laughs> and it's also like I mean the script is like you, you're one part of a of a novel right you're the story but when you write a novel you're the director you're the actor you're everybody kind of all at once right and I think that is it is different I mean I I I in reverse I've I've read a lot of scripts and been like oh I wonder if I could you know adopt one of my own books and I think Oh God, no way. I just, I wouldn't know. How would you get rid of all those words? You know, it's, uh, it's you sort of many darlings and go in different directions. And kind of, it, I think the best way to think about it and which I will do if I'm lucky enough to adapt Stone Cold Fox in future books is you just have to think of them kind of as separate entities 
and an opportunity to tell a different story with characters you already love and like what's the medium because a reader needs something different than someone sitting and watching something you just do absolutely Um, which is not you know the easiest thing necessarily for certain creators because you're attached to how it is what in whatever medium you started in but um no I think for me I write like so character forward that I I'm like excited about potentially writing stories with the same characters that I love so much just on screen or in a book or what have you so yeah okay so tell us about that so do you think this is a is this an is there another um b story another b and colin story it seems like there definitely could be yeah i really hope to write a sequel to stone cold fox it's sort of like why i left the cliffhanger and it's funny to see early responses to the end of the novel because some people really love it and some people are like what the hell but i i like that because then people have something to talk about and there's right conversation to be all publicity is good publicity as they say right and I I don't like to tie things up in a bow with any of my stories even my scripts it's like let people kind of ruminate and think what they want um because that's more fun yeah I would very much like to write a sequel um to Stone Cold Fox so I hope to do that at some point in the future so what was it like? What, how is it different so when you write a script do you are you also working alone or are you sort of doing in the collaborative um format so is it different than in addition to being sort of a different you know medium is it also like a different environment because you're alone for me personally I've only written alone um with scripts so features in television are a little different um most of my well all of my produced work I've sold a lot of things but things don't always get actually made but my first film came out last year and that was I wrote it we sold it to Blumhouse and feature writers tend to I mean some people write in a partnership like with two people I just tend to write alone with a tv show I've sold a couple where they've purchased the pilot and then I write the pilot but it hasn't like gone to series where you have a room but then typically you're in a writer's room with many people and you hammer out scripts together and it's more collaborative but in my career thus far I've been writing alone which I honestly do enjoy I mean I think I enjoy a collaborative uh situation too but I it's funny my husband is always like no you're not because I identify as an introvert (laughs) but that's only because I I enjoy having alone time and I need it to kind of, of before I go back out and be social again because I think I present quite extroverted but I, I like <laughs> I think that's a, I actually think that's a very common attribute to writers I also am definitely an introvert but you put me at a writer's conference and people would be like wow that lady knows everybody and it's <laughs> because it's that one you know it's a time to be extroverted and energetic and there's all these people that you want to talk to and you haven't seen and we're so excited because it's it's our people and it's our craft and whatever but then literally like the third day I like collapse for like two weeks and I have to just I'm like nobody talked to me um yeah like you can like shut down even in the middle of a conversation sometimes we'll go to some party and like I'm having a great time but when I'm ready to go home it's like I'm ready to go home and I feel like I like turn into like a ghost of myself (laughs) right you're like will you excuse me while I go to the bathroom and then disappear out the back door I totally I'm known for my Irish goodbyes for exactly that reason sometimes it just gets to be too much I love you all but I have to leave um so how is it different then you know uh in terms of you know obviously because for the size of it but you know when you start when you're writing a script are you writing a certain word count a day do you outline and and what's your process for that and then how is it how is it different for this for screenwriting I do outline um but I would say they're brief 
Um, I, I like to know where I'm working towards because there are just certain things. And I don't want to say it's formulaic because it's not. I think that's selling screenwriting short. But there is an expectation of emotional beats and plot points that you're expected to hit. So I like to know what those are before I start drafting. Um, it just makes the process easier. It makes it easier to sell because sometimes I do. I mean, I think a lot of screenwriters prefer to sell their idea and then be paid to write it. And if you're selling an idea, you do have to have an outline and like sell your story and where it's going. Right. Um, so for scripts, I typically know where I'm going. But, and this happens to me now with novel writing too, I leave room to play because when I'm writing, something happens. And I think that happens for a lot of writers. And I'm not even like a woo-woo person, but there is something I just literally feel like touched. And it's like, oh, I didn't even, it's, I would have been impossible to think of in the outline stage. It just wouldn't come to me in that way. But when I'm actually in the characters and what they're doing, and the second I think, oh, what if I took them over there? Like, I always try to, the way I put it is like, how can I make their lives more difficult? <laughs> yes, right. Up the challenge, yeah. increase the conflict. Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes I just don't think of it until I'm writing and something clicks and I'm like, oh, this would actually fuck it up for them. <laughs> or screw right. it up for them. This is going to make it way messier. Yeah. And those moments typically happen while I'm in flow and while I'm writing. Um, not exclusively, but most of the time. And right. that happened when I wrote Stone Cold Fox, which I admittedly wrote the first draft just pantsing it. <laughs> like it was just in B's voice and wanted to get everything that was in my head out of me. And then um, when I went back, I did a pretty robust outline knowing who she was, who the characters were, where it was going to go. But then even when I went back in, I, one of the things I love that happens is characters usually sneak in that I had no idea of until they showed themselves to me. And like Ren Daly in Stone Cold Fox is a perfect example of that. She's a tertiary character, but she is so funny. Yeah. And I love how B like uses her to make herself seem like a normal person. Right. I mean, it was just so fun to have her there. And I did not conceive of her at all when I was outlining. She's a total sacrificial lamb in the, yes. in the, in the bridal party. I do love it too. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I wondered about that. And I, um, so basically then when you went back to write, did you sort of take what you had? I mean, I know some people, this is so, such a crazy, seems crazy to me, but I know authors who write an entire draft. And mm -hmm. once they finish the draft, they know exactly what the book's supposed to be. So they throw away the first draft and start over. Was it like that or was it like, I have this, I'm going to work with this sort of mess I have and carve it and shave it and mold you it? You know, when I, it does feel like I wrote two books in some ways. So I had the first draft that I kind of wrote on my own time. Like I, I wasn't, I hadn't sold it yet or anything. I was like, I'm going to yeah. try to write a novel. Here we go. And the way I found my literary, literary agent was through my screenwriting representation. And she really responded to the first draft but she had a lot of wonderful and intense notes. And I thought, okay, it's going to be a revision. And then when I really got back in, I mean, I kept almost nothing from that first draft. The spirit of B for sure, right, but right. it really became something else entirely. Because my agent, it's very funny. She goes, well, you do realize you wrote a story about a complicated mother-daughter relationship. And I was like, oh, I guess I did. So like in my first draft, mother wasn't as much in the forefront for B. Yeah, um, yeah. It was like just peppered in a little bit. And then by bringing that 
more into the conversation. The flashbacks weren't a part of the first draft. And I wondered, yeah, interesting. It kind of made her character richer um, yes. and just felt more three-dimensional. Um, so yeah, I had to go back and really dig into mother as well. <laughs> she's a mother I know mother <laughs> yeah it, she is quite the, I mean she does bring I mean I can imagine her on screen that'll be that is you know super interesting well I think that and I think that makes sense it's, it's actually amazing and wonderful that you had an agent really respond because I think sometimes you have to have an agent who can really see kind of where the story could go and some people are some agents are really good at that and some agents just you know are like well if you revise it I'd like I'd look at it again kind of thing so I was I'm very lucky my agent is a, has a very editorial lens and how she likes to work with her clients and that was very helpful especially as I wrote my first novel but like even going forward I just feel like she gets what I'm doing she gets my taste and I just got very lucky that she was the first agent I met and we hit it off because I know that is not always the experience. So that was some divine intervention or something. That was right. So how long before you, and it, of course, having had already, you know, a, a successful career in screenwriting, of course, it makes sense that, that, that you would be able to, you know, make connections faster because you already have people, you had already were a proven entity, which I, is very important in this field. And uh, and most fields and makes total sense. Now take us back to sort of when you, did you know you were going to be, a, wanted to be a screenwriter? Like, did you go to school for that? I knew or I that? wanted to be a writer. I got my degree in English literature and it was always something that I wanted to do. Whether I thought I could took me a little longer to get there. Sure. And it's not because I, so I'm from Chicago. I'm from a pretty practical family. No one's really in the arts. They were always very encouraging of me, but I didn't really have an example as far as like, how would I actually go about doing that? And I think when I went to get like my first job, it was just like, okay, so my first job, I moved out to California in 2009 and I got a job at a very popular celebrity gossip blog. And that turned out to not be my calling at all. <laughs> I actually moved back to Chicago for a couple of years and thought, I don't know. I conflated LA with that job. Right. Um, I was like, okay, I don't think this is for me. And so I've had a lot of weird jobs before I actually settled on screenwriting. So in Chicago, I had, I think it was a very fortuitous detour. Um, I worked in sales because no one tells screenwriters that 80% of that job is sales. <laughs> so oh, I bet. Um, mostly in travel and hospitality companies. And one of the companies I was working for, I uh, became the top salesperson. I was selling um, luxury floral arrangements to hotels, residential buildings, mm -hmm. places that spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on flowers every year. And so they wanted to open the market in LA and I loved LA in a lot of ways. And I was like, oh, and if I'm doing a job I like, it'll be a totally different experience, whatever. So I move out here it kind of works out. I take a couple other sales jobs, but then I start going out with this guy that's a screenwriter. And long story short, we had a super gnarly breakup and I was very motivated by spite. And that's just who I am. Um, <laughs> and I, and I said, well, if that guy can do it, I certainly can. So I wrote my first script and I sold it a few months later to Sony. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, I think that's women power right there. Be like, yeah, you can do it. Well, I can do it better. That's yeah. fantastic. 
very motivating to me. Um, and I, you know, it was a fortuitous thing where I submitted the script to this contest um, that's affiliated with the Academy Awards and I advanced and it was all very exciting. And it was the first year you could purchase the reader comments. So I did. And most of them were super helpful. Um, but the last one, I don't remember the whole thing, but I remember the sentence clear as day. And it was judicious alterations. This might make a good porno because the girls sound hot, at least on the page. Danielle, the way I, I like, first of all, I paid for this. Right. <laughs> Second of all, that so has nothing to do with the content of the script. It was just someone like making it because because later they were like, well, he gave you a good score. I'm like, I don't care. Like, this is what not an asshole, right? Oh, I went on the Facebook page for the contest thinking the moderator and 10 people are going to see this, but like, I have to stand up for myself or I'll, I'm going to lose it. So I just picked like copy pasted the note and said, you know, considering the current climate for women in Hollywood wanted to bring this to your attention. And it was one of those weird things that went viral on Twitter. So then on Facebook, journalists are wanting to talk to me and it's like, I'm a writer, but I'm a businesswoman too. And I know if my script is in the news, people are going to want to read it. And then about a week later, my script sold. I've been working pretty steadily as a screenwriter ever since. So it's whatever that quote is about like preparation and luck, like in meeting the moment. And I was able to meet that moment because I had that script, but then I had other scripts um, ready to go as well. So that when representatives started reaching out and they were like, what else do you have? I was like, well, I have this, that, and the other thing. And so- Good for you. Isn't that so, I mean- <laughs> And, you know, in many ways, that that asshole, you could, you know, there's a little gratitude we can give that guy, not much, but a little bit, right? I mean, and good for you. I'll tell you, right? Like, I really do take, um, I love, everyone loves praise. I love it too. But there is something, I don't know if it's kind of sick about me, but like, anytime something like bad happens, I just let it like fuel me and like propel me into the next thing. Yeah. Um, Kind of always been that way and it's really you and b you and b have that in common i think actually yeah, I mean, i'd be lying if i said there weren't little parts of me and b but not all <laughs> right of course of course not right of course not but it is that is super interesting so um and that was when when did that when did that all that, that was happen? all like pretty much 2014 2015 so fantastic that's amazing so um okay and so then um are you i mean you are gonna you're going to adapt it, right? I Are you waiting so. for somebody to want to sort of, you're not going to just adapt it without right. somebody. I can't say what's going on, but there's um, conversations being had. So I I'm love excited it. to see um, what happens there. And then also just like, once it's on the world, I'm so excited to see more readers respond and just kind of, I mean, my biggest wish is that people have a great time reading it because that's why I wrote it like I wanted yeah. to write the book I wanted to read and have it be very character forward while still having a compelling plot but like people that feel real or maybe someone you've crossed paths with and get a kick out of um they make you laugh <laughs> my dog my dog is like scratching herself and so her her she's jingling okay Scotia oh. lay down um well um yes exactly it's a super fun read I mean it is it's got all the sort of makings of like you know, the revenge plot plus like, uh, you know, I mean, just the, the women empowerment in sort of whatever way, you know, you can make yourself empowered in this world, which where men have the upper hand, where wealthy people have the upper hand, where, you know, I mean, people like Gail, who is, you know, the family friend, um, who's, you know, 
without ruining anything, she's, you know, she is definitely wants Colin to not be with B and she's, you know, she's formidable. So certainly. I, I <laughs> certainly what? She certainly is. I worked really hard on her, even though I don't like her. <laughs> well, right. We don't, we don't have to like her, but I mean, she's got chutzpah, right? I mean, she definitely is not going to go lightly and she 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 works pretty hard to you know get things to go her way um I was curious because you know I just I feel like it's so funny because people always ask me like who would play so-and-so in your books and I'm always I don't even I'm I'm like the worst because I don't even really pay attention and everybody now in Hollywood seems so young <laughs> that I'm like I don't know but I was curious if you had like and not and again I know you're in conversations and there's going to be an incredible cast and these people are probably probably not going to be it but like if you were going to dream or imagine do you have could you tell us who you think would play sort of be Colin and Gail or an example yeah, I, of it I can tell you who like I pictured when I'm writing because I feel like you know I started writing this in 2019 and then you know a lot of time passes because I do think there are some like younger girls that may be more suited to be if and when it comes because by the time right right exactly talking about like peak hotness I mean I pictured Margot Robbie a lot because of course yes of course outrageously hot and outrageously hot I mean and that's how I pictured B just someone that is like god damn how do you walk around like that (laughs) because to just be like that's so arrestingly beautiful um I think also makes her compelling and interesting because I'm sure for as much as you get out of that in life, it's probably also a curse in a lot of ways considering lecherous men and then women maybe not liking you because you're so beautiful. I think, you know, you can, I think there's a lot to chew on there. So I just pictured, I did picture Margot Robbie. Um, Colin is funny because I don't think this is the right casting either, but I was very inspired by Succession and I pictured Jeremy Strong quite a bit and the character specifically of Kendall Roy, just kind of like, daddy, please love me. Um, Yeah, (laughs) that's a great show. And that's a, it's a very, I can totally see that, of course. And then Gail's kind of tricky because I actually don't think, because we're in B's head. So I don't think Gail is as like hideous as B is claiming her to be. I think she might just be kind of plain and doesn't put that much effort into the things that B thinks she has to put effort into. Right. right. So I did sort of picture, and this is also not correct, but this like um, vibe, like Selma Blair and Legally Blonde, for example, just mm-hmm. kind of like the Vivian mm-hmm. Kensington type of character. Um, but yeah, definitely a brunette. <laughs> yeah right just I mean at the very least to be a, a you know a contrast to our um incredibly beautiful blonde B. that is um yeah it's so interesting I I love it you know there's a part in the book where Colin gets a little soft and I think I was you know it's so my generation I'm like oh it's kind of like it's a little bit like um Hugh Grant you know what I mean there's that kind of like a little not kind of yeah, all together he doesn't command the room but mm-hmm. people like him I mean mm-hmm. B always says that she goes is he the funniest guy in the room is he the hottest guy in the room not right. really people like him and he's yeah. a nice guy and he means well and that for B especially counts for a lot yes of course it does which makes so I mean again it makes just which I think is a, like you said the good the characterization is really strong because it it makes um 
based on her, you know, what we know about B, what we learn about her, all of this makes really sense. I had, I was looking at my phone because I have a screenshot that I took from, um, um, from the, I read it on my Kindle, but, um, I love the idea. So there's a, there's a, there's part of the book is that B doesn't really have a lot of really close friends. Right. And, and some of that is because, um, you know, she's guard, she's very guarded, but in addition, she makes a comment, which I think is really interesting. Um, she basically, there's this line that says, I'd argue that men are relatively easy to read, but women have real depth and darkness to the point that you never really know what we're thinking. Women have actual layers under our society, societally mandated glossy veneers, so many unknowns, which I think is so, it is an interesting thing. And I think some of the most intensely um, brutal, you know, stuff we see is women on women, right? We can be unbelievably awful to each other. And I think men, you know, they're, they live at a, at a different level, but I thought that was such a valid, and to your point, you know, the sort of, um, the way B sees the world and the way she sort of guarded it, especially around women. Yeah, I mean, we, your first relationship with a woman is her mother, so that's not ideal for her. Mm -hmm. And then you know, you see, because the flashbacks are these kind of vignettes in different stages of her life, and um, never really bonds with any of the girls because she also knows they're probably not going to stay that long. So I feel like she never fully had a good relationship with another woman and that's why when she meets the character of Syl she's very intrigued by it um but rightfully a little afraid but as far as like the larger sense of it I just think I am such a girl's girl and I have so many girlfriends but I think you know you go through life and sometimes you grow apart and all these things and for as sad as I've been with any breakup with a guy oh, no one can hurt your feelings like another girl or your mother for that matter. I just think there are things we can reach into and say and do to twist the knife that, yeah. I don't know, it's just like on another level. And I don't think it's this like, oh, women aren't nice to women sort of stuff. I just think we're complicated and navigating being a woman in a man's world. And sometimes we right. get out on each other, which is right. bad. But I think it's a fact of life and something we I also I think it's a little of a patriarchal construct too that basically you know they <laughs> there's a definitely an, an, an environment where it's much better for society for men in society if women don't always you know if they it's like the sort of you know working mother versus stay-at-home mother that I use that example all the time because it's like somebody is telling us there's only one right answer and it, it surely can't be us right so it comes from this sort of societal uh you know i probably um seated by a man who thought let's you know because there's that other quote that's like if w women could rule the world if we could just all get along right it's yeah. kind of like that's i think that's true too but like you said I think we put so much more faith in some ways in our female friendships because we know those that those are people who are going to understand us better and who have you know have more like experiences and who see the world more like we do. And so when those don't work out, it is it can be very, very devastating. So it, it makes sense. And still we won't go into still, but I think she is um and she's a really different person than other women that B is with and, and runs into. And I think she's another lovely sort of foil and, and in, in that way and in other ways, which you have to read the book to find out. Yeah. So, um, so, okay. So tell us, um, you know, this is coming out 
It's actually, when you hear this podcast, which will be February 16th, it's out. It came out on Valentine's Day, which is, as we discussed, super clever. And now that you're over your Valentine's Day celebrations, whatever those look like, you got to pick up this book and and um, read what B was up to. But um, what are you working on now? What's what's next? Yeah, I'm work. I just finished the first draft of my second novel, which just about killed me because I wanted <laughs> to finish it. I, my husband, and I basically skipped Christmas. Like I was like, whatever, it comes around every year. I got to get this done because I really wanted to enjoy this time with my first book coming out. So I knew if I got the first draft done as um, as uh, painful as it was in, on some days, I knew it would be a future gift to myself. And it certainly has been. And I'm actually really happy with how it turned out. And the early feedback is good. So I don't anticipate the situation where I'm writing two books like I think I'll just get to revise this which um, I'm excited to do um, I can't say too much about it yet but I can share that it'll still sound like me but it's not it's not the sequel to Stone Cold Fox and it's kind of playing in a different world um, but music plays a huge part in the story which I'm excited about and it might even be a little bit spooky Oh, I love that. Well, and I think it was, I can't remember if we were talking about this on air. Now my brain is is frying, but I think we talked about the fact that there is definitely room in the open, in the ending of Stone Cold Fox for a sequel. And you, you sort of talked about, you know, you're not somebody who likes to tie things up in a bow, which I think is, it really does leave us ruminating and sort of going back. And I think that's a very uh, it's really great for getting people buzzing and talking and not everybody likes that. I, I, of course, but you know, that's good too, right? I mean, we're supposed to sort of, I think thoughtful fiction is supposed to make us think and a little uncomfortable and, um, but you didn't write that next, but you think somewhere down the line, there could be well, my hope is the public all but demands it. Because <laughs> <laughs> we just need to start right. We, you need a hashtag, bring back B. And just I know, like, you know. I honestly, I feel like I could write like a hundred books as B. She is so funny and I really enjoy being in her head. And I have a lot of um, love and care for her despite her monstrous tendencies. And I think um, by the, even by the end of this first book, I mean, maybe some people disagree with me, but I I think she has a very clear arc and you see some growth in her in certain ways. And um, I just think she's a really juicy character I like spending time with. So I hope um, to write more of her story in the future. And there is, I mean, there's a sort of a, a, a sort of a last twist, which we're not going to talk about, but is that there's another piece that, you know, rises to the forefront too which is sort of like okay now what's gonna you know you know what that what's that gonna do so what that I think look like I know exactly what you're talking about and I really want to dig into that because uh-huh. I, I think, think that's right. of overcorrection for her maybe <laughs> right well that's what I mean that's it's yes we won't we're not gonna talk you cannot talk more about that but if you read the book you will know exactly what we mean when you get to those last pages because we're like oh I did not see that coming either so um and it is actually, you know, I mean, there is, you know, there's, um, there's, there's a few men in the story. I mean, for sure. And, and as you said, those vignettes that include these early life include, you know, some of those, those actually most of them really lovely stepfather, um, figures, but there are also some, you know, some dangerous, um, male characters in the book as well, which I think is, you know, I, I really appreciate a book that doesn't vilify all the men um or all the women um you know or all the wealthy people or all the you know what I mean it's just a very it's but but the, there is darkness um 
you know, in most of them and, and also really lightness in most of them. And I think that is so, it feels so real, you know, it's so authentic and it's really fun to sort of see what pushes us to the dark and what draws us to the light. Right. Well, and I think like anybody, we all have our pluses and minuses, right. <laughs> Depending on, and in different phases. I mean, with the stepfather characters, you know, I wanted to be really cognizant of that. And I just remember, um, when you've turned a certain age, that change in how men you don't know perceive you mm -hmm. is very shocking. And you're very young still. Right. So there's a character who doesn't really, she just has kind she just knows how he's looking at her. It's the, um, someone her mother's married to when she's a teenager. Yeah. Nothing really perverse happens. It's just, she can feel the way he's looking at her and right. how her friends, her friends that she made, their dads look at her when they're going to the dance. Like she just has this marked change. Yeah, right. That when she was little and alone, women would want to help her. And now that she's bombshell teenager, she even feels like maybe from some of her teachers and stuff that people just perceive her to be a certain type of woman. Right a girl right when all she's done is like develop in a way that she had zero control over right I mean that is I think there is something about this it's almost like being preyed on that you just feel like all of a sudden the world is somebody they you sort of look like you feel like you might be somebody that they want to prey on and it feels you're we're too young or we're not our mentally we're not ready for that and and yet the world does not seem to care you know I, I mean I'm I have a 23 year old daughter and I remember she was like 11 and we were skiing and she's a beautiful skier because we're in Montana and all of a sudden there's these hoots and hollers coming from the, the ski lift before and I just I mean I remember, and I'm this kind of mom but I just stopped it was like she's fucking 11 like yeah. cut it out you know now you I, can't tell under a helmet and whatever because she was tall and her dad's tall but I, I was like it's so gross that is that gross. is your response to you know and of course yeah, I'm sure they told me off again but whatever I mean the point is that it just is something you want to protect your children from you want to be protected from and yet society does not really have we, we've not taught in general our young men to be uh, respectful or the um, older I just I, I or anybody right woman yeah. has these memories from when they were about that age right like 11 right. 12 mm -hmm. and everything just feels different and you don't know why right. and because you are so little and it's just a it's like this coming of age terrible thing that right you feel powerless to it's just become you just have to like look alive now right like okay yeah. it is. and it's when we I think it's when girls start to sort of hunch to sort of put, you know and we start to look down and it's when we lose a lot of confidence that otherwise and a lot of, sort of playfulness that otherwise we had and felt safe doing when we were younger and that it is it's a it's a very it's a very common very big loss and I it's not the first time we've had I've had this conversation on this podcast because I think it is absolutely true and it and it happens and I love to you know I love that acknowledgement that that is a real thing that we have to contend with that we just nobody should have to contend with right I mean um because your body is very much not I mean very some of it is really just not in your control so um 
Well, okay. So tell us now, where can we find you? Where can people find you? Obviously they can get your book anywhere. Stone yes. Cold Fox and is out on the 14th of um, February. And I actually say, I love this color. This is oh like God. this, Me right? I, is... When I saw the cover for the first time, I literally screamed because you never it know is... what you're going to get. That's what I right. heard. It's like, okay, you hope for the best, but you know, the marketing folks know what they're doing and blah, blah, blah. Yes. They did. I mean, I saw the cover of my dreams (laughs) yeah and sometimes they do know what they're doing but you're like really do you know what you're doing and you know and sometimes you see something and you think um oh yeah you do know what you're doing and actually I love this because sometimes your book will be you know it'll be spying out in the bookstore and it'll it's 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 hard hard to look away people are going to be like what's that hot hot yellow neon I gotta look at that one so it's really really beautifully done it's so fun um okay so sorry you can we can find you on where what's your favorite i'm mostly on instagram at rach kohlercroft and then um i have a twitter but i'll be very honest with you i very rarely use it um tiktok scares me and i also have a website rachelkohlercroft.com and i do a newsletter on there too but um instagram i'm pretty active on i do stories and i like to post about movies i'm seeing and books i'm reading and other little things here and there I try to be entertaining on Instagram I'm comfortable with it and it's fun and I enjoy it <laughs> it's so funny well you're younger than I am and I t- TikTok is terrifying my daughter was trying to like teach me I'm like no it just I'm beyond it's I'm, I'm too old um so okay Rach uh Kohler and Kohler is K-O-L-L-E-R Croft yes. K-R-O-F-T so fi- yeah, I'm sure you can find her we'll we will tag you up um up the storm with this and with pictures and whatnot and um it's so fun so thank you oh my gosh so much for joining me today and talking about the book and your inspirations and um i will look very forward to the spooky um music but it makes me think of all these i have all you know immediately my mind paints a million pictures which i'm sure are totally incorrect but um i will look very forward to that it was such a pleasure to get to talk to you today thanks so much for having me danielle i had a blast i appreciate it and for everybody joining us today this was killer women podcast with rachel kohler croft and your host danielle gerard and we will see you next time. Thank you. Bye.